greetings, friends, in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ on this Christ the King Sunday, and we're in the last days of the liturgical year, beginning with Advent and Incarnation, and then through the life of Jesus with its climax on Resurrection Sunday. And then over the last few months, we've been following the flow of the Old Testament scriptures in ordinary time, letting that river of narrative to come flowing through our bloodstream. So as we come to the end of the year, the way the church tells time, hear the word of the Lord from the Apostle John, writing from the island of Patmos. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne there was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones, 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne and on each side of the throne, there are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures each have six wings and are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. And then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly, for no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, all saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and in all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do you make of that scene described in Revelation chapters 4 and 5? It's near the beginning of the final book of the Bible, recorded by the Apostle John, exiled on Patmos, a prison island of the Roman Empire. All of John's thinking about God took place under fire, a man thinking on his feet, running, or on his knees, praying. John wrote first as a pastor to edify and encourage churches under siege. Revelation 4 and 5 comes right on the heels of his seven pastoral letters. Seven, the Bible's way of saying wholeness, fullness, and completion, conveying that these words were written from a pastor for the one holy Catholic apostolic church, the church around the globe and down through the ages. John's call to the seven churches, therefore, to us as well. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. 
Revelation, the end of the story, which the early church saw fit to complete the entire biblical canon. And to make the point even more clear, in the, in the 404 verses of Revelation's 22 chapters, there are 518 references to earlier scripture. It's absolutely remarkable what John is up to in this final book of the Bible. John, who opens his gospel narrative, in the beginning was the word, in the end offers the last word on all the great biblical themes. The last word on scripture and Christ and the church and worship. The last word on evil. The last word on prayer and witness and politics. The last word on judgment and salvation. The last word on heaven. And John wrote these last words as a pastor and simultaneously John wrote Revelation as a theologian and poet. And what results is a tour de force of scriptural imagination. And I love the line from the great scholar Richard Baucom who writes, the visual power of Revelation affects a kind of purging of the Christian imagination, refurbishing it with alternative visions of how the world is and will be. John appeals to the imagination. He uses images to reveal and words to intensify our relationship with God. John is pastor, theologian, and poet, all of which are crucial to his prophetic vocation and vision. So in light of all of that, I want to highlight three images that emerge from Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And they are the, the throne, the scroll, and the lamb. So first, the throne, looking now at chapter 4, verse 2. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. John makes it crystal clear that this is a throne-centered world. That is to say, God is at the center. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the good creator and sovereign over all things. Now, I'm sure you notice all of the action that's happening around the throne. Angels and elders and creatures, brilliant colors, precious jewels, glorious light, lightning flashing, thunder rumbling, torches burning, and a sea of glass like crystal, all from and around and before the throne. And here we do well to echo the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. A world with the throne at the center has beauty, harmony, symmetry, and rhythm Nothing arbitrary or out of place. Just notice, for example, John's use of numbers. There are seven spirits of God. Seven, again, the number of wholeness, fullness, and completion. God is all in all. 
there are 24 elders, that is the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 Christian apostles, the great ambassadors of Christ crucified. The four living creatures, that is emblems of, of virtue from every corner of creation. The nobility of the lion, the strength of the ox, the wisdom of the human, and the swiftness of the eagle. The whole host of heaven playing and praying and worshiping all of the action centered on the throne where all things find their loving source, good purpose, and chief end. The mystery of holiness which draws worship like a magnet. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And a key part of my testimony is learning from professors and mentors, especially during college, that when God is at the center, there is a circumference as wide as creation. And in saying that, I'm paraphrasing an adage from my college chaplain, Trig Johnson. And that is to say, this is a throne-centered world. Everything is free game. It's all up for grabs. The arts and sciences and humanities, the lab, the classroom, the field, the gymnasium, marketplace, public square, factory floor, every relationship, every prof profession, every square inch is subject to him who is on the throne. Now, of course, that is only stating the positive side, what Richard Mao calls the cultural mandate. But we must also balance that out a little bit and acknowledge the human capacity to make a real mess of things. And we don't have to look very far to see that at play in our time and place. Leslie Newbegin, I think, helps us bring this into balance. He writes this. If the biblical story with its center in the double event of Jesus' death and resurrection is our, is our clue, then it will follow that we are called neither to a simple affirmation of human culture nor a simple rejection of it. We are to cherish culture as an area in which we are to live under God's grace and are given daily tokens of that grace. But we are also called to remember that we are part of a whole texture of human culture which was shown on the day we call Good Friday to be in the murderous rebellion against the grace of God. It was necessary for the early church at crucial moments to take the heroic path and to accept martyrdom rather than to submit to what the vast majority of people took for granted. But it was also right that the church could accept the role of sustainer and cherisher of the political order. It is right for churches to be dissenting communities, challenging accepted norms and structures. And it is also right in circumstances for the church to be that of the nation or the parish, the cherisher and sustainer of the ordinary work of the farmer, the judge, and the soldier. 
What is needed is the discernment to know from day to day and from issue to issue when the one stance is appropriate from the other. What is needed is discernment. The Christ-centered and spirit-led corporate witness of believers around the globe and down through the ages from every tribe and language and people and nation. And here we would do especially well to learn from followers of Jesus outside of our own cultural context, which has its own unique set of blind spots. And in all, with the throne at the center, we can have the proper confidence to bear witness to a God who is sovereign over all, no matter what the political and social conditions. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll, the second image we're taking a look at this morning. For the Christians who received John's revelation, scroll meant scripture. Law and prophets, apostles and saints, the story of God coming to the rescue. The people of God are given the story of God as the text, form, and script for our lives. And to discover our place in the plot, we need the whole Bible. Not just the places that justify the preferences we already have. Not just the parts that defend the views we already hold. Cherry-picking and proof-texting is an exercise in making the Bible in our own image. It's what the old theologians called idolatry. And as C.S. Lewis said, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. We need the scroll, the whole witness of the Bible to know the true story of our lives and of the world. We are bombarded with stories daily and relentlessly, 24-7 news cycles, social media feeds, knowledge of words, ignorance of the word in T.S. Eliot's phrase. And I know you all feel it, and I feel it too. So here's just a simple strategy that I commend to you and that I've been trying on. If, again, borrowing from C.S. Lewis, if he was right in saying the real problem of the Christian life is the moment you wake up each morning, then it's crucial to begin all our days with the scroll, the scriptures that tell us the truth. Not the news headlines, not the never-ending social media feeds, not the next deadline. That's my encouragement. It might sound basic, but as Annie Dillard says, how we live our days is how we live our lives. So beginning each day immersed in God's good word is an occasion for the spirit of Christ himself to speak to us. God will meet you. He's promised to do that. And he will speak to you through his word. There is the scroll. It's where we discover the true story of God's saving purposes for our lives and for the world. 
And of course, so often we are fall short of that. I know I do day after day and over and over again. We have a tendency to live false stories. We miss the mark. Pride, depravity, sinful nature, fallen world, call it what you will. The point is we're on the outside looking in. The scroll is sealed shut. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it, which leads to one of the most dramatic moments in the entire Bible. One of the elders addresses John in his distress and says, weep no more. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. But I wonder if you notice this. When John turns to look, it's not a lion he sees, but it's a lamb standing as though it's been slain. What do you make of that? St. Augustine saw it this way. Who is this, both lamb and lion? He endured death as a lamb. He devoured it as a lion. Who is this, both lamb and lion, gentle and strong, lovable and terrifying, innocent and mighty, silent when he was being judged, roaring when he comes to judge? Who is this both lamb and lion? He is none other than Jesus Christ, the key to the scroll, to all scriptures, to salvation and healing and redemption. The lamb who saves, the lion who devours death. Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and died for us. The one who God raised from the dead ascended to the right hand of the throne and sends us his Holy Spirit as advocate and guide to him who sits on the throne be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And as we come to the table, we are reminded of the lamb who was slain once and for all and offers to us his body and his blood for us and for our salvation. And he has made us a kingdom and priest to our God and we follow the lamb into every sector of public life. So come and partake of the Lord's body and blood, the forgiveness of sins, offered for you come for all things are ready